Hebrews chapter three, if you've got your Bible, you can turn there. Um, we've talked about this book being an unknown author. Uh, you know, we can speculate as to who wrote it, and many people do, and there's so many options. We don't know what location it was written to, but we do know that it was written to second century, uh, or excuse me, first century Hebrews. Uh, it was the church that was established. They walked away from Judaism. They walked away from their Jewish faith and put their faith in Christ like the apostles preached in the book of Acts. They did that, but now they're starting to second guess it. Because as we'll read later in the book of Hebrews, they're facing persecution. They're facing death. They're facing great loss. They're facing different hardships. And so because of that, they're wondering, should we just turn our back on this and kind of walk away from it? So this letter is written to them as an encouragement. And not just to encourage them not to give up, but to prove to them there's nowhere better to turn to. And so all throughout this letter, and even through this point, we've been talking about that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the Old Testament prophets. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than any high priest. Jesus is better than any other man that ever lived. Jesus offers a better covenant. Jesus is better. <clears throat> Don't let any hardship or difficulty convince you that there's a better option. Jesus is better. Two weeks ago, we talked about the warning, the first of several warnings in the book of Hebrews about drifting away from the message. In other words, we hear the message, but because we neglect it or because we ignore it, we drift from it and we don't realize we've drifted from it. Then last week, we talked about Jesus being the perfect man and the perfect sacrifice that he is for us. And now it's almost like we're going to go back and forth. We're going to talk one week about a warning and what to do, and we're going to talk the next week about Jesus and how he is our complete and total sacrifice. In other words, one week we're going to talk about the mercy of God. We're going to talk about the grace of God that covers us and positions us in right standing with God. And then the next week, we're going to talk about that grace that empowers us and the warning. Our performance never changes our position in Christ but our performance still matters, okay? You gotta let that sink in. It will never change our position in Christ, but that doesn't mean we should just ignore our performance and excuse our behavior. Those are the warnings we get in Hebrews. And it's mixed in with, don't forget your position in Christ. Pay attention to how you live. Don't forget your position in Christ. Pay attention, you don't drift away. Pay attention. Back and forth. And that's what we're going to do over the next several weeks. And so Hebrews chapter 3, if you have your Bible, we're going to read the whole chapter. Uh, it's 19 verses, starting in verse number 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus whom we declare declare to be God's messenger and high priest. Remember, we just talked about it in chapter two, this Jesus. So keep thinking about him. He was faithful to God who appointed him just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire household. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house, and we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. That is why the Holy Spirit says, today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years, so I was angry with them. I said their hearts are always turning away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never 
enter my place of rest. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. Who was it who rebelled against God, even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? Who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? To whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. So Father, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and give us hearts that understand what you are saying to us today through your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I called this today's to-do list, if you will. Um, And what we start with right here at the beginning of this chapter is that Jesus is greater than Moses. And for those of us in this room, that might not be a big deal. We might say, well, you know, we know that. But for these first century Hebrews, this is a big deal. Up until this moment in their lives, Moses is the pinnacle. I mean, Abraham is their father. He's their descendant. He's the first one. But Moses is the one that saw God face to face. Moses is the one that heard God speak, passed on God's law, revealed God's character to these people. And so this guy was the epitome. And Jesus is not just a little better. Jesus is far greater. Moses is just a servant. Jesus is the son. Moses is like the house Okay, he doesn't deserve, the house doesn't deserve praise. The builder of the house deserves praise. You don't ever walk up to a house and say, man, that's, the house, you are fantastic. Way to put yourself together. You don't. You credit the person who built the house, the architect, the contractor. That's who you praise and credit, and that's what he's saying. In that way, that's, Moses was faithful, but Jesus is far greater. And the interesting thing is, Moses was not honored like this while he was alive. When Moses lived on the earth, he wasn't respected and honored by the people he served. He wasn't. It really was only after his death that people look back and say, Moses was so great. Moses was such a great leader. Human nature does that. We, I've witnessed it. We talk about sometimes presidents from the past and we think they were so great, but we don't really quite remember they, they weren't great when they were our president or, or pastors or leaders or teachers or parents. And we look back and we, we talk about the good old days, but when we were in the good old days, they really weren't good old days to us, but we refer to them as that. And that's kind of what happened with Moses. Some of you are going to think, I'm going off track, but I promise you, if you track with me, I'm going to bring it back. Moses went up on the mountain, okay? He spoke to God face to face. The finger of God wrote the Ten Commandments that he brought back down to the people. The people saw his face glowing. They did. They knew he spoke with God because his face glowed they looked up the mountain and they saw the cloud that covered it and the thunder and lightning they got that God was there when Moses went into the tent of meeting the cloud was there and so there was this was clearly God's man there were so many supernatural events and signs that said here is God's guy here is God's word here is God's voice there should have been absolutely no doubt in anyone's mind he was the guy But when we read about the history of Israelites, what did they do? They constantly grumbled, complained, rebelled, argued. They constantly did those things against what they thought was Moses. But as you read the Old Testament, it says, if you grumbled against him, you're grumbling against me because I sent him to you. Remember his shiny face? Remember the cloud? That was me speaking to him, telling him what to tell you. 
and yet they rebelled against him. If we trace the history, in Numbers chapter 12, we're told a story about Aaron and Miriam. This is Moses' brother and sister. They were co-leaders with Moses over the people of Israel. And they come to Moses and they begin to criticize him because he married someone they didn't think he should have married. And they begin to, to talk about Moses and think, you know, Moses, who are you? You take too much on yourself, Moses. We hear God just like you do, Moses. And God comes down, he hears this also, and he gives Miriam leprosy. And Moses is like, Lord, no, 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 don't do this to her. And God says to Moses, hey, put her out of the camp for seven days. If her father would have spit in her face, she would have been unclean for seven days. Let her think about what she's done. And so they put her out of the camp. God heals her, she comes back in. But I'm guessing she learned a pretty good lesson. Four chapters later, number 16, a man named Korah, who is an Old Testament priest. The priests were the ones that were in charge of the tabernacle. Does the same thing. Moses, you take too much on yourself. In fact, he says to Moses, "You, you you don't even know what you're doing. We're wandering in the desert. You haven't led us into no promised land. You haven't done anything right. And if you remember the history, why aren't they in the promised land? Is it because of Moses? No. Moses led them to the promised land. He sent in 12 spies. Two spies came back and said, let's do it. 10 said no, and the people grumbled. We can't do it. We're gonna die. We can't trust God. I mean, I know he parted the Red Sea and the Egyptians drowned and everything, but he's gonna just abandon us now. That's why they're not in the promised land. Had nothing to do with Moses. But these people, shiny face guy, thunder and lightning, even with all of that, They reject him as their leader. They grumble and they complain. So, great story. The ground opens up and swallows them. True. Read it. Numbers chapter 16. God hears them saying, Moses, you take too much on yourself. And God's like, no, I put that on Moses. Ground opens up, swallows them, closes back up over where they were. The people's hearts were struck with fear. Imagine that. Is that going to happen to me? You would think that would be the end of it, but the very next day, the very next day, Numbers chapter 16, the people come to Moses and say, you killed God's priests. Huh? I must have missed the part where Moses got the jackhammer out and opened up the ground and swallowed these people. Moses didn't kill these people. God did it. Supernatural activity, supernatural sign, all of this. Why did they reject him as their leader? You know why? Because Moses was just a guy. At the end of the day, Moses was a people. And as people, it's hard for us to let any other people tell us anything. As children, our parents have far superior wisdom most of the time than us. But what do we think as children? I know better than mom and dad. What do they think? They think they tell me everything. They don't know anything. That's what we think. We think as Americans, we know everything. All of us could run this country better than anybody. Can I tell you? We don't know as much as we think we know. But we have this tendency as human beings to think because there are people too, we can be better than them. Because they're flawed, just like us. Moses was flawed. If you remember, Moses wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. Do you remember why? He struck the rock. God said, speak to the rock. Moses struck the rock. And God said, Moses, I'm not going to let you enter the promised land because basically you let the people dictate what you were going to do and not me. You didn't think me holy enough to do what I told you to do in front of the people. You let the emotion of the moment and what people were doing. But here's the craziest scripture in all the Old Testament, and I have no idea what to do with this. If you do, let's have coffee someday and you tell me, because I'm just stuck on it. Moses, when he's recounting this to the people of Israel, he says this, the Lord was also angry with me because of you. He said, Moses, you, even you, not even you, under the promised land. He Moses, I'd love to just sit Moses down and say, Moses, God wasn't upset because of the, he wasn't upset with you because of them. He was upset with your response to them. But that's human nature too, and that's what we do. 
We say, you know, it's this person made me do this or this person, no, we always get to control what we do and how we respond. We don't get say over what happens to us, but we always get say over what we do in response to it. And so don't be Deuteronomy chapter one, verse 37, but maybe you've got some light on that and we could talk about it later. But what they're saying is, you say, Pastor John, what are, you, what are we talking about this for? Because the leader right here is telling us Jesus is better than Moses, and Jesus is better than any high priest, and Jesus is better than people. And so what we as human beings will start to do, what we'll have a tendency to do is, I don't need people then, I just need Jesus, right? But that's not what Hebrews is teaching us. That's not what the scripture is teaching us. Now, Jesus is far superior, and we have to be careful to keep people in the servant role just like Moses. Moses was faithful. Moses fulfilled his role to the people as a servant in God's house. But we cannot throw out people. And there is a movement in our day to throw out people. There's so many articles and conversations and people that say, well, you know, the church has just become institutionalized and the church isn't what the church should be. And so we're just going to get away from the church and we're just going to gather around our own little small group and we're just going to be the church over here. And that's what God intended anyway. And that's not what these scripture passages are teaching us. We have to be careful not to take these and throw out the baby with the bathwater. We need leaders in the church, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, deacons, elders. We need those men and women in the church to learn how to lead biblically. So if you're here today and you're in that role, you, this, this book tells you a lot about how to lead. If you're not in one of those leadership roles in the body of Christ, that doesn't mean you're insignificant. It doesn't mean you're a lesser person. We're all equals in the eyes of Jesus. We're all equal because of the blood. But those people have a role in our lives. And we need to learn what to do with that, how to follow leaders biblically. Not how to follow leaders democratically. Not how to follow leaders humanly, but biblically. Because there's pressure, pressure that's exerted on leaders. Look at Moses. I mean, granted, he had a million people he was leading. I can't imagine the pressure. But let me tell you something. As leaders, let me speak to you first. It's not the people you lead. And it's not the place where you lead. You can learn to lead biblically no matter who you're leading or where you're leading. And if we don't learn that as leaders, we'll just up and move to another place and take all of our drama with us. We need to learn to grow as leaders and lead biblically. And when the Lord says, speak to a rock, and everybody's like grumbling and you're on edge and you strike the rock, don't you dare blame the people. Humble yourself and say, Lord, I should have never struck that rock. I should have led the way you told me to lead. Okay, for the rest of us who follow leaders, the Bible speaks about what to do and how to make sure that we do not put any unnecessary pressure on those leaders. If you just go to Hebrews chapter 13, just a few chapters later, look at what it says. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow their example of faith. Now, there's not one human leader that they could possibly be referring to that lived a perfect life. As far as I know, the only perfect man was Jesus. And so yet, even these imperfect people that, that spoke into our lives, we can follow them. Verse 17, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls. They're accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. Don't put unnecessary pressure if you will, on them. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Pray for us, for our conscience to be clear, and we want to live honorably in everything that we do. Look at that. I'll tell you what. I, I, I preached this passage of Scripture one time, and I'm going to obviously preach it again when we get to Hebrews chapter 13. And there was a man that heard that message, 
And he came to me that week and he reprimanded me. You shouldn't preach that. What, should, should I cut it out of the Bible? What should I do? I mean, I cannot, as a, a leader in, in the body of Christ, force you to do something. And I'll never try. I'll come down and say, hey, as your pastor, as your leader, here's what the Lord's impressed on my heart. And I know, guess what? I don't have a shiny face. I don't have thunder and lightning to convince you that this is God. And so if I don't even have those things, there are gonna be times where you're like, mm, pastor's missed it. And you know, guess what? Sometimes I'm gonna miss it. Sometimes you're gonna think I'm missing it and I didn't miss it. Because if they saw those supernatural things and they thought Moses missed it, I guarantee you there are gonna be times where you think I miss it and I don't miss it. But there are gonna be times that I do. There are gonna be times I strike a rock when God said speak to the rock. Thank God for the cross that doesn't keep me out of the promised land as long as I humble myself and admit that I've done that. We have to learn in the body of Christ that it's Jesus who gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to the body of Christ to build them up. Why did he do that? If you don't, if you don't understand like, uh, what an apostle and a prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher is, I don't have time to, to teach you that, but can I tell you, they are five unique, different temperaments. They look at things different, they talk about things different, they see things different, they respond different, they're different, completely different. And sometimes they don't get along with each other very well because they're so different. So why does God set up all of these difference? Why does he give elders? Why does he give deacons? Because he understands that in the body of Christ, we come together, and if we just gather around us, everyone who's like us, if we just have a church full of prophets, we're in trouble. That body will not be healthy, growing, and full of love. If we just have a, 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 a body of pastors, oh, everyone will just be cared for. Everyone would just feel so loved. It would be just so warm. It would just be so great. Oh, just a church full of pastors. No, it wouldn't. If it would be great, Jesus would have just gave pastors. But he gave apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists and deacons and elders, and he set these things in the church for the body to grow to be healthy, and to be full of love. So we don't throw people out of our lives. We actually bring people along in our lives. Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house. In the New Testament, all of these gifts that God has given are faithful as servants. They have a place, they have a role to speak into our lives. We, we follow them to some extent. We allow them that access and that authority over our lives. And ultimately, we're not trusting them. We're trusting the one who sent them. Now, sure, in my opinion, it would be easier if my face was just shiny because then you would know I've been with Jesus. But in the New Testament, you know what we're asked to do? We're asked to follow the inner witness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But can I, let me tell you this. If we don't pray for you know, weeks at a time, if we're not in the word, devouring the word and hiding the word in our hearts, if we're not in relationship with one another and conversing, can I tell you something? we're not going to know the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. We need all of those things. We need to be in prayer, we need to be in the word, and we need to be in relationship. Because if we're not in relationship, you'll see someone do something and you'll judge their behavior, but you're not in relationship enough to know what's going on. And that's why the rest of Hebrews chapter three says, warn each other, bring each other, come together, come alongside of each other, take this journey together. That's why later in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, do not forsake assembling together of yourselves. For people today that say, you know, the church isn't what it should be and so we should stop meeting together and we should stop doing all these things, that's not a new thing. This happens in every generation. Every generation, it happened in Hebrews chapter 10, and it happened in the second century, in the third century, in the fourth century. It's the same thing. It's the same argument. But here's what God said. I set up my church, and I put these gifts, and I want you to come together, because it's in coming together that you grow together. 
Why would he do this? Why is this important? Well, look at what he goes on to say in Hebrews chapter three. We are God's house. He makes a statement in Hebrews chapter three, though, that it's an interesting statement. We are God's house if, if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. In other words, if we keep our courage, if we keep doing the right thing, if we stay on the right course despite opposition, despite hardship, if we keep obeying, even when obeying is hard, we remain God's house. We, we remain God's house if we keep our confident hope in Christ. These two things, are, you're going to see this so much throughout the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, more than any other New Testament book, uses the word if. If. This will happen if. That's called a conditional statement. You will inherit salvation if. Hebrews tells us it's not how you start this race, it's how you finish this race that matters. If you keep your faith in Christ. It doesn't matter if you heard Christ years ago. What matters is, are you hearing his voice today? Today. Warn each other while it is today. It doesn't matter if you heard Jesus speak in a vision 40 years ago. What are you hearing today? And the propensity is for us to stop hearing. That's just human nature. None of us in this room should feel guilty like we're the only ones. We're the only ones that get busy and neglect the word. We're the only ones that get busy and, and neglect prayer. We're the only ones that, that keep falling into the same temptations. We're the, no, this is human nature. Stop hiding it from each other. Stop trying to be something in front of everyone else because you're afraid you're gonna look worse than them. This is why we need the body of Christ. This is why we're called to live alongside each other because it, we're, we can be narrow-minded and I need apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists to help me see something that I would never see because it's not my bend. You say, well, we just have Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. Why do we need each other? Well, because he says we need each other. That was God's design for us to be together. Even God himself is one God in three persons. Apparently, community is a big deal to him. And so he's called us to live in this and grow in this together. And so he warns them, every day while it is today, hear what God is saying. Listen to what God is saying. And he constantly, through the book of Hebrews, will refer back to the Old Testament. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the apostle Paul refers back to the Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of what's to come. They talk about coming out of Egypt in the Old Testament, coming out of sin. Passing through the Red Sea, Peter says, is like baptism for us. They went through the waters of the Red Sea. We go through the waters of baptism. The, the Passover lamb that they ate as they exited Egypt, he is our forever Passover lamb, and we forever drink his blood and eat his flesh just like the Passover lamb. That's what Jesus was referring to in John chapter 6. He is the bread of heaven that comes down, just like manna in the Old Testament. All of this comes together, and nowhere in, except in the book of Hebrews does the picture come together so well. It shows us that from beginning to end, God's just not making it up as he goes along. We can be assured that when our world seems like it's in chaos and God has somewhere drifted off to sleep and allowed our lives to get way off course, we can be assured that God knows the end from the beginning and he is always at work in our lives. And if we keep our courage and keep our confidence in him, we'll grow as his house. So he gives them this warning. When it's difficult, when it's hard, don't turn back. Don't turn back from what you know is right. And then he says, this is what the Holy Spirit says. Now, where does he get that from? How do we know the Holy Spirit's saying that? Well, that's actually Psalm 95. He is referencing, Psalm or she is referencing Psalm 95 right here in Hebrews 3. So in your Bible, it might be 
fonted different or it might be in quotations or it might be set apart in a little bit that's because it's a reference to the old testament and so let's go to psalm 95 and look what it says this is a psalm that the jews would have been very familiar with because they would have sung it together on the sabbath they said come let us sing to the lord let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation let us come to him with thanksgiving let us sing psalms of praise to him the lord is a great god a great king above all gods he holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains the seas belong to him for he made it his hands formed the dry land too come let us worship and bow down let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God we are the people he watches over the flock under his care what a great psalm we actually have songs today that are made from Psalm 95. That's a great reminder. God watches over us. He cares for us. He loves us. And it's like we're getting in the mood. Oh, it's like, thank you, Jesus. We love you so much. Oh, it's just me and Jesus. Jesus is better. He watches over me. He's a flock. We're his flock. Thank you, Jesus. And right in the middle of this beautiful worship time, the psalmist says, if only you would listen to his voice today. Who said that? That just ruined the song. I was having a great moment with Jesus. I was worshiping Jesus. I was loving Jesus. I love Jesus. And all of, the psalmist, all of a sudden, the psalmist reminds us that we don't worship God just in spirit. We worship him in spirit and in truth. And you can't claim to worship God as almighty God, creator, Lord, exalted one, and refuse to listen to what he says. Look at the rest of the psalm. The Lord says, don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah, as they did at Massa in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience even though they saw everything I did. For 40 years I was angry with them and I said, they are a people whose hearts turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest. In the middle of this beautiful worship song, we're reminded that it's not just the feeling and emotion that God loves us and he's caring for us and he's watching over us and he's positioning us with Christ. That's absolutely all 100% true. But don't think that now we just live however we wanna live. I do whatever I wanna do. I don't have to listen to God. Then he's not your Lord. You don't trust him. You don't trust that he knows better than you. We're no different than children who think we know more than mom and dad. I know more than them. What, what, is, what does God think he knows? I mean, it's 2016. Like this was written back at the turn of the century. He knows the beginning from the end. His word does not change. And so we're told when you hear his voice reminding us like what we learned in Hebrews chapter one, God still speaks today. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us by his spirit. He speaks to us through the body of Christ. This is how God speaks to us today. He speaks through dreams. He speaks through visions. He speaks through his word to us today. And at times we hear his voice, we agree with his voice, we respond to his voice and we walk out that door and life gets hard and we stop and think, you know what? God understands life is hard right now so I don't need to keep obeying him. He knows I can just push pause and live however I want in this moment just to feel better about myself and I don't need to stay obedient to him, which is exactly what the children of Israel did in the desert. And God says, you can't live that way because what will happen is your heart gets hardened against me because sin is way more deceitful than you think it is. And so if you don't walk in obedience to my word, your heart is actually gonna turn away from me and you're gonna do what he said in Hebrews 2, drift away. Don't rebel against God. Don't test him. What was so terrible at Meribah and Massa that what, I mean, what did they do that rebelled against God and tested him, do you know? They didn't have any water to drink. Well, that's not a big deal, right? I mean, I'm thirsty. Ah, good water. So why is this such a big deal? They just complained because they never could lift their eyes and hearts to trust in God. 
When they didn't have water, Moses, why'd you bring us out here to die? Moses, you're a terrible leader. Moses, it's all your fault. Mom, dad, it's your fault. It's your fault. Instead of lifting their eyes and saying, God, there's no water here. Help us. They didn't learn to do that. And over and over again, they would not lift their voice to God. They would not look to God. They just turned on Moses. They turned on each other. They disobeyed the commands of God. They did whatever felt good. They did whatever would appease or ease their pain in the moment. And so God said, you just tested me. You, can, you constantly turned away from me. And the writer of Hebrews is reminding them. They understand this. They know what he's talking about. And he's saying, don't let this happen to you. Make sure you don't have an evil heart. Make sure you don't have literally an immoral heart, a heart that's against the character of God. In other words, if any action comes out of your life that is against the character of God, don't say, well, you know, that only happened because I was in this bad situation or that only happened because of the recognize that came out of my heart and that is not in the character and the nature of God. And so God, you need to remove these things from my heart. But guess what? Because of what Christ did, even when that comes out of my heart, my position in Christ has never changed. But if I excuse that, if I say, well, you know, I only acted that way because of that person or I only did this because of that person or, you know, I'm just not gonna listen to God because I know better than God. When I start doing that, my heart starts to get hard and I may end up walking away from my position in Christ. Because sin, as he says in Hebrews 3, is deceitful and will harden our hearts against God. So warn each other today. When is today? Today is today. Yesterday is not today. Yesterday was today, yesterday, but today is today, today, today. And so it doesn't matter, well, you know what, Pastor, we came to church last Sunday, so we'll, we'll take next Sunday off. No, because next Sunday is today on next Sunday. Wednesday is today. And we can't just do it on Wednesday and Sunday. We need to do it today. That's why the believers in the New Testament actually met together every day. Because every day was today. And sin is deceitful. And we need one another. We need the apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers, evangelists and deacons and elders. We need the differences of opinion. We need the different mindsets, the different gifting. We need this so the body can be mature, complete, and not lacking in nothing. And then he says, be vigilant. Warn each other. Do it today. Because the tendency of the flesh is to rationalize. The tendency of the flesh, flesh is to excuse. And we can deceive ourselves. That's why James says, when you hear the word of God, be careful to do what it says. Because if you do not do what it says, you deceive yourself. So in other words, you hear the word of God, you recognize it as the word of God, but if we do not diligently put it into practice, a veil of deception literally begins to cover our hearts where we think we're in good standing with God and everything is a-okay, but we are living in rebellion against his word. And we don't recognize it because of that veil of deception. Just because we've stopped persevering in obedience. We get deceived by sin and hardened against God. We might still be singing the first part of Psalm 95. God, you are our God. You're a great God. Oh, you made the sea and you made the, the dry land and we worship you and you are our maker and you watch over us and you are under your care and a tear might even come down your cheek and it might just be emotional, but can I tell you something? If you're not hearing his voice today, the emotional response doesn't matter. It's deception. I could show you a video today I could dim the lights I could make it I mean we could make an emotional moment right here and now and this is on the tales of who what Jesus did for us our position in Jesus is not based on our performance but our performance still matters he didn't die just so we could live like devils on the earth he died to make us princes and to make us princesses to make us sons and daughters of the king so we would live like it and act like it and he's empowered us to do it. And at the same time, he gives us mercy so we don't walk around bent over with that table on top of us. Woe is me. 
I'm so unworthy. I don't know why you love me. If you don't understand after last week how much he loves you, I don't know what else to do. Look at what he's done to prove how much he loves us. And he doesn't want us to walk around with the weight of the world on our shoulders, but he doesn't want us to walk around looking like the world either. And that's why he calls us to walk alongside of each other. Literally, that's what that means, to come alongside one another. Call to your side one another and warn each other every day while it's still today so you're not deceived by sin and hardened against God. So what's our to-do list today? Pretty simple. Hear God's voice and respond to it today. Today. Read his word. Spend time in prayer. Listen for the voice of his spirit. Write down the things that God says to you. Listen to what he speaks through your leaders. Listen what he speaks to you through your body. Listen to God's voice today. Do what God says. Trust him. Put your confidence in him. Let him direct you. Let him lead you. Understand he knows far more than any of us. And at the same time, keep your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Don't exalt your works to a place where, you, where they are all that matters. Don't exalt people in your lives to a place where they are all that matters. You can do that. We exalt sometimes these pe- preachers and televangelists to this pedestal way up here. They're just people. They're just servants in God's house. They're not up here. They didn't climb no mountain to get to God. You have the same access to God, but they still have a place in your life. So don't exalt them, but don't toss them out either. Don't exalt the role of works and say, look at me, I'm a good Christian because I'm doing good works, but don't throw out the works either. It's this balance between the finished work of Jesus and what it looks like in my daily life. He ends chapter 13 by reminding them, it was unbelief and faithlessness that kept them out of the promised land. They came out of Egypt, they saw the deliverance, they heard God speak at Mount Sinai, But all of those experiences didn't guarantee that they were going to get into the promised land. It had to be mixed with faith. What is faith? Faith is belief in the finished work of Jesus Christ and that that work makes a difference in my life. Meaning my life should look different because of that. And that's why he says, warn each other every day. Look at what he's done. Put your confidence in it and let it transform you. That's what we do today. And so, Father, I thank you for the finished work of Jesus Christ. I thank you that you loved us even when we were your enemies. Jesus, I thank you that you willingly came to this earth and you gave your life for us. I thank you that you humbled yourself. You did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but you emptied yourself. You laid aside all your rights, all your privileges, all of the things that you had access to and you humbled yourself to come and to give your life for us and now you understand us you understand the things that we face and now you invite us to come you invite us to come to your throne to receive mercy knowing that we're not possibly able to live up to the standard that your word sets but your blood covers us and that mercy covers us and continues to remind us of our position in you as sons and daughters Thank you for your grace that you pour into our lives today that enable us to walk in this new life that you've provided for us. Thank you that you've planted us in your body as living stones with your apostles, with your prophets, with your pastors, with your teachers, with your evangelists, with the deacons and elders and those that shepherd us and care for us. Father, I pray for leaders today that you'd help us to lead biblically that you'd help us to to understand the role that you've called us into. Help us to embrace it. You said if we desire it, we desire a noble task. God, help us to do it with honor. 
Help us to do it in humility. Help us to be a faithful leader in your house. Just as Moses was faithful. Father, help us to learn to follow those who are leaders. Help us to learn to trust you. As we close this service today, I want to give you just a moment to respond to the word. Today's to-do list is simple. It's to hear God's voice. So the question is today, are you hearing God's voice? Are you diligently seeking out his voice? In the word, through the spirit, through the body of Christ, are you seeking his voice? Are you hearing him? If you're not, could I ask you to be brave enough in this moment to say, Pastor Tom, I need to start listening for God's voice. I've heard his voice. He's spoken to me in the past, but I'm not listening today. It's been a while since I've been in the word. It's been a while since I've been in prayer. And so that's me. I, I'm, I'm not listening today and I'm, I need to acknowledge it. I need to repent of it today. Would you pray for me as you close service today that I would start listening for his voice today? If that's you, would you slip up your hand and say, that's me. I'm not listening today. I've been listening in the past, but not today. That's me. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you for your honesty. The second part of that is, are we obeying the word that he's spoken? I want to challenge you, if the Holy Spirit has brought something up in your heart or in your mind today, something you've neglected that God said, hey, I've, I've called you to do this, but you've drifted from it. Maybe because of hardship, you just flat out turned away from it. And today, it just kind of resonated in your heart today. Can I tell you, the Holy Spirit's not here today to make you feel bad about yourself, but he's here to remind you that that's the path you need to take. And so if you've neglected a word or you've heard God speak something, but you know you've, you haven't been faithful to put it into practice for whatever reason, and you say, today, I want to repent of that and I need to get back on that track. I need to listen to what he's saying and respond to him. Say, that's me. Pray for me. I need to get back on track with the Lord. Something I'm walking in disobedience that I need to make right before him. I want to invite you to stand with me. The last thing I want you to consider as we get ready to close, in this passage of scripture, the Lord speaks to us through whoever wrote the book of Hebrews. He says, warn each other every day while it's called today. And so I wonder if the Holy Spirit is calling you today to call someone alongside of you. Maybe the Holy Spirit is asking you to, to come alongside of someone else. I want to challenge you. In this day and age where so much is being said about the body of Christ and how it operates, I still believe that God set up his church and he designed his church. You know, at times... I mentioned to you earlier that in Hebrews chapter 13, when I preached it, I, I got reprimanded because they didn't want us to preach that. And I'm going to promise you, one of the hardest things to teach on as a pastor is something like Hebrews chapter 13. Because at the end of the day, it's hard to say, you know, you should, you should attend church or you should tithe because, you know, it, it, seems like I, it's, it seems like I've got something to benefit from that. And I promise you that with the, the skill set that God has blessed me with, I could step out of this role tomorrow and take a job that would pay me as much as I make here and I could do it without the pressure and the anxiety and all of the things that I have to face. And I don't want you to feel sorry for me because I've chosen this and I love this, but I had a Bible college professor that said, if you can do anything else and be at peace and feel happy, do it. 
because ministry is hard. And I don't do this because of what I get from it. I do it because I feel like God's called me to do it. And I'll be honest with you, I've had to learn and I'm still learning that this church isn't funded by your tithe. So wait, what are, you, what are you talking about? What I'm saying is, as a pastor, it's too easy to start thinking, well, if people don't come, if people don't tithe, we're not gonna have what we need. And then I start relying on you to tithe and pay our bills instead of relying on him. And so if I teach on giving or I teach on tithing, it need not be for my benefit or for the bottom line here. It better be for your good and because it's the word of God. And even if you don't tithe, God is more than able to supply everything we need of and he wants me to trust him and not you. He wants me to lead you. He wants me to shepherd you. He wants me to teach you what's right. But he doesn't want me to try to force you to do something for my benefit. And so when I teach on the importance of the church and what it is, it's not because I believe the church is perfect. I just believe he designed it. It's not because I gain from it. It's because in my heart, I believe it's what's right. And I don't think I could look at myself in the mirror and believe I'm doing what God's called me to do if I didn't preach the whole counsel of God's word to you. But I promise you, I'd rather preach any other message but this one. In fact, I really like the one last week better because it makes everybody feel good. How does God want you to call someone alongside of you? Who's he asking you to walk with in this journey? Father, today I ask that you would unite our hearts. That you, as you brought us together in this place, God, we didn't choose. You guide our steps. In our hearts, we plan our course, but you determine our steps. God, you brought us here. You've gifted each of us with different giftings and different abilities. And in this room today, you've placed apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists and deacons and elders. You've, you've placed those that, that administrate well. You've placed those that have the gift of helps. God, you've placed so many in this body to help protect one another, to help each other grow. And so help us to come alongside one another in this process so that none of us is hardened by sin and its deceitfulness and hardened against you. Father, for those in this room that have confessed that they're not listening today, how they've neglected, they've drifted. They've drifted away from obedience and putting your word into practice. Holy Spirit, you've seen that today you've seen that moment of confession and your word says if we confess our sin you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and you've removed that now there's no more fear no more guilt and no more condemnation and so we celebrate the position that you have given us in Christ Jesus today and now we ask for your grace. As we walk out of this room, as we walk out of this building today, we ask for your grace to live as your sons and to live as your daughters. Being diligent, being faithful, persevering in what is right. Give us courage. And keep our confident hope in you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you as you go. Don't forget tonight, uh, ministry meeting at seven o'clock if you haven't had a chance to be at one of those yet. And uh, God bless you as you go.